Today is Wednesday, the 21st day of April. I am Denise. Welcome to PsalmsCast. In the rhythm of a week, Monday is the day to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap and to trudge through the motions. Day after day of the grind of life, and life can often become very tedious and, yes, draining. Just that never-ending running of a hamster on a wheel, running, always running, but never getting anywhere. What is the point? (laughs) Ah, Each and every day is an opportunity for us to draw close to the Eternal One, to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and learn how to walk in spirit and in truth as those that please the Eternal God. Gosh, we can learn who these people were through the testimony of the books that bear their name, especially in the Old Testament. None were perfect, but they were passionate to seek the Lord God with all their hearts and their minds and all of their strength. Sometimes they excelled in this goal, and sometimes they totally, utterly failed. But this, our true God, He draws us close today for this time. He is faithful even when we have sinned and dishonored His holy name. So come, sit for a bit, listen and learn as we navigate through the Psalms before us today. We're going to be reading through Psalm 21, Psalm 51, Psalm 81, Psalm 111 and Psalm 141. We're reading from the voice translation of the Bible. Also, at the end of today's podcast, we are going to explore the details of why Psalm 51 was penned by David, which will take us into 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 for those who desire to go deeper into God's Word. Let's take just a brief moment to ask the Lord to be our guide. Father, we come humbly. Thank you for bringing us here today. We desire to draw near to you. We come seeking you. We want to experience your mercy and your grace in our life here today. Generously pour into us your truth and your wisdom. You know our desperation, Lord. Open our minds and open our hearts to what you have for us here in your word. Transform our life, Lord. Draw us near. Lead, guide, and illuminate as we journey today. Psalm 21, a song of David. The king is glad because you, O eternal, are strong. In light of your salvation, he is singing your name. You have given him all he could wish for. After hearing his prayer, you withheld nothing. True blessings you lavished upon the king. A crown of precious gold you placed upon his head. His prayer was to live fully. You responded with even more a never-ending life to enjoy. With your help, his fame and glory has grown. You raised him high and covered him in majesty. You shower him with blessings that last forever. 
He finds joy in knowing your presence and loving you. For the king puts his trust in the eternal, so he will not be shaken because of the persistent love of the Most High God. King, your hand will reach for all your enemies. Your right hand will seize all who hate you. When you arrive at the battle's edge, you will seem to them a furnace. For the fire of the Eternal's anger, the heat of His wrath will burn and consume them. You will cut off their children, lop off the branches of their family tree. The earth will never know them, nor will they ever be numbered among Adam's kin. When they scheme against you, when they conspire their mischief, such efforts will be in vain. At the sight of you, they will sound the retreat. Your bows, drawn back, will aim direct at their faces. Put your strength, Eternal One, on display for all to see. We will sing and make music of your mighty power. Before we read Psalm 51, I want to share what the voice commentary is about this psalm. It's really important, people, that we understand that even when we really, really, really mess up, there's a way back to the Lord. One of the most difficult episodes in King David's life was his affair with Bathsheba and all that resulted from it. Psalm 51 reflects the emotions he felt after Nathan confronted him with stealing Bathsheba and murdering her husband Uriah, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. At one time or another, all people experience the painful consequences of sin. Psalm 51 has been a comfort and a help to millions who have prayed these words as their own. It invites all who are broken to come before God and lean upon His compassion. It teaches that we need not only to be forgiven for the wrong we have done, but we also need to be cleansed of its effects on us. Ultimately, it helps us recognize that if we are to be healed, it is the work of God to create in us a heart that is clean and a spirit that is strong. Psalm 51 A song of David after Nathan the prophet accused him of infidelity with Bathsheba. Look on me with a heart of mercy, O God, according to your generous love. According to your great compassion, wipe out every consequence of my shameful crimes. Thoroughly wash me, inside and out, of all my crooked deeds. Cleanse me from my sins. For I am fully aware of all I have done wrong, and my guilt is there staring me in the face. It was against you, only you, that I sinned. For I had done what you say is wrong right before your eyes. When you speak, you are in the right. When you judge, your judgments are pure and true. For I was guilty from the day I was born, a sinner from the time my mother became pregnant with me. But still you long to enthrone truth throughout my being, in unseen places deep within me. You show me wisdom. Cleanse me from my wickedness with hyssop, and I will be clean. If you wash me, I will be whiter than snow. 
Help me hear joy and happiness as your accompaniment, so my bones which you have broken will dance in delight instead. Cover your face so you will not see my sins and erase my guilt from the record. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore within me a sense of being brand new. Do not throw me far away from your presence, and do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. Give back to me the deep delight of being saved by you. Let your willing spirit sustain me. If you do, I promise to teach rebels your ways and help sinners find their way back to you. Free me from the guilt of murder, of shedding a man's blood, O God who saves me. Now my tongue, which was used to destroy, will be used to sing with deep delight of how right and just you are. O Lord, pray open my lips that this mouth will sing joyfully of your greatness. I would surrender my dearest possessions or destroy all that I prize to prove my regret, but you don't take pleasure in sacrifices or burnt offerings. What sacrifice I can offer you is my broken spirit, because a broken spirit, O God, a heart that honestly regrets the past, you won't detest. Be good to Zion. Grant her your favor. Make Jerusalem's walls steady and strong. Then there will be sacrifices made, burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, with right motives that will delight you and costly young bulls will be offered up to your altar, only the best. Before we begin Psalm 81, the voice offers some explanation so we can have understanding. This is a song written by Asaph, who was one of the worship leaders that King David had assigned. God's covenant people celebrated many festivals honoring God and His provisions. Poets composed songs specifically for use on feast days. Psalm 81 is one of those. It was written to celebrate the Festival of Booths. God commanded His people to celebrate this festival every year so they would remember how God provided for them as they moved toward the Promised Land. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. A portion of this psalm, verses 5 through 16, would have been sung by the lead musician as if he were speaking to God. In the annual rhythm of festivals and praise, God is reminding the people of all he has done for them and of all their past disobedience in spite of his love. He is also calling His people to renew their commitment to Him, a reasonable request on a holiday honoring Him. Psalm 81 Sing with joy to God, our strength, our fortress. Raise your voice to the true God of Jacob. Sing and strike up a melody. Sound the tambourine. Strum the sweet lyre and the harp. Blow the trumpet to announce the new moon, the full moon, the day of our feast. For this is prescribed for Israel, 
a rule ordained by the true God of Jacob, a precept established by God in Joseph during his journey in Egypt. I hear it said in a language foreign to me, I removed the burden from your shoulders. I removed heavy baskets from your hands. You cried out to me. I heard your distress and I delivered you. I answered you from the secret place where the clouds of thunder roll. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. O my people, hear me. I will rebuke you. Israel, Israel, if you would only listen to me. Do not surround yourselves with other gods or bow down to strange gods. I am the Eternal, your true God. I liberated you from slavery, led you out of the land of Egypt. If you open your mouth wide, I will fill it. But my people did not hear my voice. Israel refused to obey me. So I freed them to follow their hard hearts, to do what they thought was best. If only my people would hear my voice and Israel would follow my direction. Then I would not hesitate to humble their enemies and defeat their opposition myself. Those who hate the Eternal will cower in His presence, pretending to submit. They secretly loathe Him, yet their doom is forever. But you, I will feed you the best wheat and satisfy you with honey out of the rock. Psalm 111 Praise the Eternal. I will thank Him with all my heart in the presence of the right standing and with the assembly. The works of the Eternal are many and wondrous. They are examined by all who delight in them. His work is marked with beauty and majesty. His justice has no end. His wonders are reminders that the Eternal is gracious and compassionate to all. He provides food to those who revere Him. He will always remember His covenant. He has shown the mighty strength of His work to His people by giving the land of foreign nations to them. All His accomplishments are truth and justice. All His instructions are certain. His precepts will continue year in and year out, performed by His people with honesty and truth. He has redeemed His people, guaranteeing His covenant forever. His name is holy and awe-inspiring. Reverence for the Eternal is the first step toward wisdom. All those who worship Him have a good understanding. His praise will echo through eternity. Our final psalm today is Psalm 141, a song of David. O Eternal One, I call upon you. Come quickly. Listen to my voice as I call upon you. Consider my prayer as an offering of incense that rises before you. When I stand with my hands outstretched, pleading toward the heavens, consider it as an evening offering. Guard my mouth, O Eternal One. Control what I say. Keep a careful watch on every word I speak. 
Don't allow my deepest desires to steer me toward doing what is wrong or associating with wicked people or joining in their wicked works or tasting any of their pleasures. Let those who do right strike me down in kindness and correct me in love. Their kind correction washes over my head like pure oil. Do not let me be foolish and refuse such compassion. Still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges will be thrown from the edges of cliffs and crushed upon the rocks below. And the wicked will hear my words and realize that what I said was pleasing. Just as when a farmer plows and breaks open the earth, leaving clumps of dirt scattered along the rows, our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave. My gaze is fixed upon you, Eternal One, my Lord. In you I find safety and protection. Do not abandon me and leave me defenseless. Protect me from the jaws of the trap my enemies have set for me and from the snares of those who work evil. May the wicked be caught in their own nets while I alone escape unharmed. Some days while reading the Psalms, there are Psalms that really just are an arrow to the heart. Today's Psalms, they are so powerful and they are relevant on how to live in the midst of change. Psalm 51 is especially very powerful. The Voice, our source document for this week, encourages us to make this prayer our own. Friends, This psalm is a very powerful psalm, and yes, it is easy to make your own. Many around the world struggle to battle against worldly escapes, and many of those escapes, they are very addictive. All worldly escapes are harmful to one degree or another, and these escapes often are stuff that enslaves us and keeps us from experiencing the mercies and the graces that the Lord Eternal is offering to us each day. Friends, I speak this because I, like so many, have totally given in to my own desires so that I could find temporary fulfillment from earthly pleasures. Often the satisfaction of that temporary earthly pleasure became stale and was boring within hours or days of acting on it. Frequently, the, the world, our world system, the evil out there, the tempter, the adversary, will dangle another delight just out of my reach. And because that previous line I crossed no longer bothered or convicted me, or even provide it the same satisfaction, it was easier for me to talk myself into, it doesn't really matter, that mindset, and to decide that I would ask God's forgiveness after the fact. Oh yeah, that is what David did. He had been given everything, including more women than he knew what to do with. In the culture that we have been raised in here in 2020, 
Pretty much everything that our eternal God has said do not do is promoted as natural, good, accepted, and often even protected by the laws of man. Yeah, those sinful actions that the Eternal had Moses record as sin, S-I-N, governments around the globe are now embracing as choice, but they are also actively teaching the littles of the next generation that evil is defined by the Eternal God as good, right, and proper. Our societies are knowingly and willingly teaching evil through our educational systems. I understand the concept behind sexual education, but not when all forms of sexual stuff is promoted as good to kindergartners, to first and second graders. Evil and sin are promoted and accepted as normal on a vast majority of children-targeted programs, apps, videos, and books. None of our hands are clean. I am a sinner, and yes, I often make sinful choices, and yes, this here in Psalm 51 often is a place where I can come to confess to the Eternal One that I am so messed up. Sin is sin. No matter how much whitewashing in the world says these evil behaviors are normal, acceptable, and good, if our Lord, our Heavenly Father, said no, He means no. Yes, I am aware this message is unpopular, but I'd rather tell you the truth, praying that the Holy Spirit will drive you to your knees so that you will seek God's forgiveness and His help in overcoming the liar's twisted shackles, so that you will be able to experience true joy, true freedom, here in the land of the living, not by your power, but by God's strength and by His power. I'd rather do that than flatter you into hell. Yeah, talking about sin is very unpopular. Messages like this trigger people and kind of make them unhappy. Being triggered by what we find in God's Word is called conviction. The Eternal is allowing the Holy Spirit to stir our hearts and our minds, encouraging each one of us to choose Jesus and His way. Jesus, the Anointed, the Holy One our Redeemer, our Savior. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And yes, I am fully aware that Jesus dined with sinners. Dining with someone who is engaged in sin is a lot different than participating in the sinful behaviors, attitudes, and thinking. Jesus loves us wherever he finds us. And if he finds us in a pile of manure, being given over to the ways of demons, Jesus does not just plop down in the manure and encourage the madness. He doesn't. Jesus casts out the demons and gives the one information on how 
to walk a path free, freedom, and a plan for a different journey. Our Lord and our Savior Jesus, Yeshua, is a truth teller. He journeyed through his earthly life according to the precepts that his Father, the Eternal God, instructed Moses to record and to teach to the Hebrews. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your word and the rhythm of life that is centered around your word. It is a beautiful thing that is continually calling us back. No matter where a day takes us, we always have a choice. And when we choose poorly and have wound our way through a horrible day, your word draws us back. Every single day, your word recenters us. It offers us the words of life. It counsels us. It comforts us. And it confronts us. Hmm, what a gift. What a gift to be able to do this in community and share this in common. So come, Holy Spirit. We reconnect with you and we offer this day to you. Come into every thought, word, and deed. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, an announcement for today. I'm a little bit excited. The website is becoming a reality. There is still a lot of work to be done. This is a labor of love, and hopefully in the months ahead, it will become a gathering place for all who desire to be a part of a community of prayer, praise, and worship. You can check out the website over at psalmscast.com. Now for those who do desire to go deeper into God's Word, at the very end of the podcast, we are journeying into 2 Samuel and covering two chapters so that we can fully understand what transpired to cause David to write Psalm 150. Now, if you want to connect, to ask questions, to request prayer, to ask for a Bible of your own, If you're in the United States, you can call or text. That number is 470-240-1509. If you're not in the United States, you can use WhatsApp. It's the same number, but you have to add a 1 in front of it because 1 is for the United States. You can also use social media to connect or to message. Psalmscast is on Facebook, Twitter, and MeWe. So that's it for today. I am Denise. I love you, and I'll be waiting for you here tomorrow. Going deeper into the Word of God, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and chapters 12. Many of us remember the story or the testimony that God gives of David as a young shepherd boy going against the giant Goliath that sent all of Israel's armies into a panic, so much so that they fled into their tents and they hid, including King Saul. Many know that that young shepherd boy eventually did become king of Israel and that he was a mighty king and that God greatly honored him 
And what many, many people do not know is that David was a sinner. He was an adulterer and he was a murderer. He intentionally set up a murder situation so that he could have another man's wife. Y'all, he broke two commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. That's number six and number seven. God has given us his word so that we would know how to walk correctly before him in this life as we journey towards eternity where we're going to spend all of eternity with him and we're going to obey his words. That's what salvation means, to be saved. It doesn't mean that we get to do everything we want to do, whatever that might be. So today, yes, going deeper, we're going into two chapters. So as I read, simply allow God's words of wisdom to wash over you and through you, trusting the Holy Spirit to open your mind and your understanding to God's purpose and plans. Remember, this portion of the podcast is for you to learn from the Holy Spirit how to apply God's truth in your life here today in 2021. So this setup for the voice is a little bit different. Um, Within the text, there are some comments. So I will make mention and say additional comments, and then I'll read those comments before we continue. And also the voice sets it up as if it's a play. So you have a player's name or a, a character's name, and then what they say. So hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Second Samuel chapter 11 In the springtime of the year, the season when most kings took their soldiers out to fight, David stayed in Jerusalem and sent Joab out as general in charge of David's men and the whole army of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites, and they put the city of Rabah under siege. Early one evening, David rose from his bed and was strolling on the palace roof when he saw a woman bathing on a roof below his. She was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out who the woman was, and the answer came back that she was Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was one of David's officers who had gone to war with the rest of David's troops. David couldn't get her off his mind, so he sent messengers to bring Bathsheba to him. She came, and they had sexual relations. Soon after she returned home, Bathsheba realized she was pregnant, and she sent this news to David. Since their encounter occurred just after the purifying bath, after her period, her husband Uriah could not have been the father. So David sent a messenger to his general, Joab. David, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah back to David. There he was taken in front of the king, and David asked how Joab was doing, how the army was getting along, and how the campaign was progressing. When they finished discussing the news from the front, David suggested that Uriah go to his own house to clean up, relax, and visit his wife. David, since I've called you back here, why don't you go down to your house? 
David sent a gift after him when he left, but Uriah did not go down to his own house. Instead, he spent the night at the entrance of the palace with all the king's servants. Note, David was frustrated by this. If Uriah doesn't have sexual relations with his wife, then everyone will know that Bathsheba had been unfaithful and they might remember her secret trip to the palace. Servants to David, Uriah did not go home last night. David to Uriah, you've just come home from a long trip. Why didn't you spend the night in your own house? Uriah, the people of Israel and Judah and the covenant chest of the Lord are in tents. My general Moab and the king's other servants are sleeping in the open fields. Do you think I would go to my home to eat and drink and sleep with my wife while everyone else suffers? As you live, good king, I will not do such a thing. David, stay here with me today. Tomorrow I will send you back to the battle. Uriah remained in Jerusalem that whole day and the next day. David invited him to eat and drink in the king's royal company, and David got him drunk. After the party, Uriah fell asleep on a bed with the servants of the king and did not return to his home. So the next morning, realizing Uriah would not go home to be with Bathsheba, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it back to the front with Uriah. Additional information. David's seduction of the beautiful Bathsheba and the plot to murder her husband Uriah represents low points in David's life. Even when someone has a reputation for good character, and David must have one since he is beloved of God, temptation can lead him to act totally against his own values. David takes Bathsheba because he wants her and because he has the power to do so. He orders her husband into battle to be killed because he is unable to cover his lustful advances. David's letter, verse 15. Put Uriah at the front of the battle, in a place where the fighting is most intense. Then pull back and leave him in front of the line so that the enemy will strike him down and kill him. After he received this message, Joab laid out his attack plans and assigned Uriah to the place where he knew the enemy had put strong warriors. When the warriors of the city came out to fight against Joab's forces, some of David's servants were killed, and Uriah the Hittite was one of them. Joab sent a messenger to David with news of the battle. Joab to the messenger, Give the king all of this news about the battle. If he gets angry and asks you, why did the army go so near to the city to fight? Didn't you realize that they would shoot from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, Jerubashev's son, killed by a woman who dropped a millstone on him from the wall at Thebes? Why were you so close to the wall? Then tell him, your servant Uriah the Hittite was also killed in the fighting. So the messenger went and told David everything Joab had instructed him to say, but he did not wait for the king's reaction before telling him Uriah had died. Messenger, 
Their soldiers came out against us into the field surrounding the city. At first they had the advantage over us, but we drove them back to their gate. Then their archers fired on us from the wall, and some of your servants were killed, including your servant Uriah the Hittite. David, take this reply back to Joab. Don't let this trouble you. The sword kills indiscriminately. Continue to push forward against the city and capture it, and give him my encouragement. When Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, heard the news of his death, she went into mourning for seven days. When her appointed time of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her into his household. He made her his wife, and in time she bore him a son. But the Eternal One was displeased with what David had done. 2 Samuel chapter 12 Okay, here at the first glance, David, he seems no different than many people who are given power and who use it without regard for what is right or what is fair. In this affair, David looks like the rich and powerful leaders the Hebrew prophets elsewhere in the Old Testament are constantly condemning. He has a moral and ethical failure, as most of the kings who follow him also have. He exploits a loyal servant and wreaks havoc on his house. 2 Samuel chapter 12 The Eternal One sent the prophet Nathan to visit David. Nathan came to him and told him a story. Nathan Two men lived in the same city. One was quite rich and the other quite poor. The rich man's wealth included livestock with many flocks and herds, but the poor man owned only one little ewe lamb. He bought it and raised it in his family with his children like a pet. It used to eat what little food he had, drink from his meager cup, and snuggle against him. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the city to visit the rich man. To offer a proper welcome, the rich man knew he needed to fix a meal, but he did not want to take one of the animals from his flocks and herds. So instead he stole the poor man's ewe lamb and had it killed and cooked for his guests. Nathan stood back, waiting for the king's verdict. David grew very angry at the rich man. It was his royal duty to protect the poor and establish justice. David, as the Eternal One lives, the rich man who did this deserves to die. At the least, he will restore that lamb four times over because he acted without pity. Nathan, you are the man. This is the message of the Eternal God of Israel. I was the one who anointed you to rule over Israel, and I was the one who rescued you from the hand of Saul. It was I who gave you Saul's house, Saul's wives, and dominion over both Israel and Judah. And if that were not enough, I would have given you as much again. So why have you despised the word of the Eternal and chosen to do evil in his sight? It was you who killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and stole his wife, even though you used the Ammonites to do the dirty work. 
Now because he was killed with the sword, the sword will be your constant companion. It will hang over your household, bringing death and violence to your family, since you have despised me by showing no regard for my law. And you have taken Bathsheba, the lawful wife of Uriah the Hittite, to be your own wife. This is the message of the Eternal. I will bring trouble on you in your own household, right under your nose. I will take your wives and give them to another, and he will flaunt that he sleeps with them in the light of day. You did your evil in secret, but I will do this out in the open, in front of all Israel. David, confessing to Nathan, I have sinned against the Eternal One. Nathan, because the Eternal has put away your sin, it will not be your death. But because you have scorned the Lord by these acts, giving his enemies reason to mock him, the child you conceived in deceit will die. Then Nathan left the king's presence and went down to his house. The Eternal One struck the child born to Uriah's widow and David, so that he became very sick. So David appealed to the true God for the life of his son. David went without food. He laid on the ground, praying all night. The elders from his household, the most highly honored of his servants, tried to pull him off the ground and to make him eat, but he would not. After seven days of this, the child died, and David's servants were afraid to bring him the news. Servants to one another. If the king did not listen to us while his son was still alive, how can we tell him his son is dead? He may hurt himself in some way. When David saw his servants whispering among themselves, he immediately realized the boy was dead. David, to his servants, Is my son dead? Servants, yes, he is dead. Then David stood up, washed, anointed himself with sweet-smelling oils, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Eternal and worshipped. Then he returned to his house and asked for food. And when it was brought to him, he ate. Servants to David. We don't understand. When your son was alive, you wept, and you refused to eat. Now that he is dead, it is as if nothing is wrong. You are up and about and eating. David While my son was still alive, I wept and fasted with all my being because I thought to myself, Who knows? There is still a chance that the Eternal One will have mercy on me and let my child live. But now that he is dead, why should I continue without eating? Will that bring my son back to life? Someday, when I die, I will go where he has gone, but he will never come back to me here. David went in to console his wife Bathsheba. In time, they slept together, and she became pregnant. When their second son was born, David named him Solomon. The Eternal loved the boy and sent word to the prophet Nathan that they should call him Solomon, Jedediah. There is a note inserted in the text here. 
The Israelites believed God punishes or rewards based on religious and ethical behavior, so David knows he deserves to be punished for the things he has done. But Nathan tells him that his punishment will come through the loss of the son conceived in adultery with Bathsheba and through the growth of conflict within his family. The baby does die despite David's prayer and fasting, and David's children will soon display the kind of destructive behavior that will all but tear the royal house apart. Continuing in verse 26. During this time, Joab was campaigning against the Ammonite city of Rabbah until he captured the royal city. He sent messengers with the word of the imminent victory to David. Joab, I have fought against Rabbah and captured its water supply. The city is almost ours. You should gather the rest of your forces and come yourself to lead the final conquest. If I take the city, then I will receive the credit for it. So David gathered the people, led them against Rabah, and captured it. He took the crown from their king and had it placed on his own head to show who was now reigning in the land. It was so heavy, with gold weighing over 75 pounds, that it could scarcely be worn, and it had a precious stone mounted on it. He also brought home the vast treasures of the city. Lastly, David set the people of the city to work with axes or picks or saws and built kilns for making bricks. He did the same thing to all the cities of the Ammonites, and then he and his armies went home to Jerusalem. These are very powerful chapters. It shows how one who had been risen so high and that the Lord had exalted and shown so much favor to could fall into temptation. And yes, many times we are tempted, but we have to choose to grab hold of that temptation and to engage in sin as David did. There are none of us who are without sin. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer and we ask the Lord to forgive us as we forgive others. So I hope today that this will encourage you that God does listen to us when we confess our sin to Him and He does wipe it as clean, as white as snow. He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And when we go to Him and ask Him to show us a better way, He is faithful. He is faithful. And He is true. Thank you.